Hello, brethren. Today is, today or better yet, when you view this video, it will be the day known as Pentecost. Pentecost is a special moment in Christianity where just about all the different church groups around the world, and I'm not just talking about the Church of God groups, but all the different kinds of churches claiming to be Christian can agree upon one thing. Here, and that is that the church age began on the day of Pentecost after Christ's death. The argument that comes in about this day is the year date being either from 30 AD, 31, 32, or 33 AD. CCOG's position on that is that Christ's crucifixion was most likely on 31 AD, though 30 AD also looks like it could be possible. Going forward, I will be taking the majority of this sermon from the Cogwriter article entitled Pentecost, Is It More Than Acts 2? Which, by the way, is a great title and a great question because if you can find a church outside of the Church of God groups that do observe this day, Acts 2 is just about all that they will talk about. I'm going to cover, I'm going to give you a kind of an outline of the topics that I'm about to cover the Bible, speaking in tongues from John O'Gwen, the Old Testament, Pentecost and the Ten Commandments. Pentecost was, was observed later in the New Testament. Comments from Herbert W. Armstrong, which will cover the following. What you should know about Pentecost, the answer revealed, the wave sheaf, the meaning of Pentecost, most not now called, only first harvest now, and when Christ returns. Offerings were taken up, and then the conclusion. So let's get into it. After Christ's death, the original apostles met and observed Pentecost, Acts 2, and the Holy Spirit was given to them and that is considered by almost all Christian professing groups to be at the beginning of the Christian church. If it was in 31 AD, then it appears that it would have been on the 17th day of June that year. The Bible. The Old Testament is the first place where we learn about the holy day commonly called Pentecost, but we will go to the New Testament for now. Towards the start of his ministry, Jesus spoke on the day of the Sabbath, Luke 4.16, often then called the Feast of Weeks, that we tend to now call Pentecost. That can be confirmed by looking at the actual Greek term, often simply mistranslated there as Sabbath, singular. The actual word, not the strongest grouping of like words, is plural as in Luke 14.1 is singular. The passage is literally tr translated as follows. And he came into Nazareth where he was brought up and according to his custom, he went in on the day of the Sabbath into the synagogue and stood up to read. So this helps show that one could keep Pentecost as Jesus did in a location other than Jerusalem. He also seemed to keep another holy day in Galilee in Luke 6, 1, 6 verses 1 and 2. After Jesus died, his disciples were told to wait 
to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for, for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, verse 5, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Acts, 14, Acts 1, verses 4 and 5. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Acts 1, 8. <clears throat> then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. Verse 14. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. And they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Acts 1, verse 26. Notice what the Bible teaches. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Acts 2, 1. Acts yeah, two one. Notice that the emphasis is on the fact that the day of Pentecost had fully come. The Bible is making it clear that the events that follow were directly related to the fact that the day of Pentecost had fully come. And it happened to the disciples because they were all observing it together. Here's what happened next. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Getting God's Holy Spirit changed them, and not just because of their speaking. Continuing. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born. Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> Phrygia, <coughs> Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed, <clears throat> perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? 
Others mocking said, they're full of new wine. But Peter standing up with the 11, raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words for these are not drunk as you suppose since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last day, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, and on my men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. <clears throat> Getting back to Peter's sermon, verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to, to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. <coughs> Excuse me. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and in his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised, raised up, of which we are all witnesses, <clears throat> therefore being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David not, did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstools. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, 
and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord God will, will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and, uh, and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to church to the church daily those who were being saved. Acts chapter 2, verses 2 through 47. They received some of the power of the Holy Spirit, and this is considered to be the start of the Christian church by Roman Catholics, Eastern Orthodox, Protestant, Jehovah's Witnesses, and Church of God groups. <clears throat> but note that the Holy Spirit was given at a certain time, the same time that many of the Jews observed Pentecost and that Jesus' disciples were still among, were still observing it. Okay, so we're talking about speaking in tongues. Perhaps this should be a good time to reflect on one point that some misunderstand, and that is the relationship of the day of Pentecost to the common idea of speaking in tongues. Here's some of what the late Church of God evangelist John O'Gwen wrote about. Speaking in tongues, the focal point of the Pentecostal movement. And by the way, have you, any of you ever been and observed something like this? I have. And now of the entire charismatic movement is its emphasis on speaking in tongues or glossalia, a term derived from the Greek word for tongue and speaking. But just what does the Bible mean when it mentions speaking in tongues? Is it identical to what happens in the modern charismatic movement? The Greek word for tongue, glossa, is used primarily in three ways according to the Arndt Gingrich Greek-English lexicon. In one case, <laughs> it simply means the tongue, the organ of speech. In another, it refers to a language. The third usage refers to a phenomenon found in pagan Hellenistic religion with the broken speech patterns of people in the religious ecstasy, page 161. <clears throat> Speaking in tongues played a little known role in ancient pagan religion. The concept of ecstatic speech, unintelligible to the hearers, is well known in ancient Greeks. Greece. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> the shrine of Apollo at Delphi, a short distance from the city of Corinth, was the site of the most famous oracle of the ancient world. The priestess of Apollo would 
work herself into a religious frenzy and then fall down to the ground, often in a sort of convulsive fit and come under the possession of the God. While in this state, she would babble unintelligible words, the language of the gods, supposedly. They were written down and interpreted by the priests. Similarly, events happened at other oracles throughout the Mediterranean world. Ecstatic speech in the ancient world, however, was not limited to the priestess at the oracles. When the Eastern mystery religion spread westward into the Hellenistic world, they also incorporated the phenomenon <coughs> of ecstatic speech. It was de deemed to be communion with the gods. Thus, the use of frenzied, unintelligible speech called by the ancient gods speaking in tongues was well known in the first century. But is this all akin to what the Bible describes? The most detailed account of speaking in tongues as a gift of God is given in Acts 2. There are several points that should be noted. First, <coughs> first the phenomenon was manifested suddenly. The words that began to pour from the mouths of the apostles were not the insults of an emotionally charged meeting. They were not working themselves up through frenzied music or the repetition of certain religious phrases. This was a miracle of, the, of God that came about instantly. Second, there is no mention of any apostles falling to the floor under the power or of any of the other excesses that so often characterized modern Pentecostal meetings. The emphasis given in Acts 2 is not one of putting on a show, rather it is one of delivering an important message. There were miraculous signs accompanying the message to authenticate it. An important key that must be noted in Acts 2, 4 through 12 is that the apostles were not using so-called ecstatic speech. Instead, they were speaking in known languages that members of the audience clearly understood. This was the time of Pentecost, the second of the three annual pilgrim festivals given by God to the ancient Israelites. There were Jews who had gathered in Jerusalem from all over the world for this occasion. Jews who spoke the language of the homeland of his homeland. It was not long before increasing numbers recognized their own native language. <clears throat> Though initially some who did not understand the particular language were hearing supposed the apostles to be drunk. Since this was a time before electronic amplification and public address systems, it is reasonable to suppose that the apostles stood at some distance apart and faced in different directions, all preaching the same message, but in different languages, languages known to the listeners, but unknown to the apostles themselves. Those who understood a particular apostle began to gather closer to him to hear what he had to say. Acts 2 verses 14 through 42 emphasizes the content of Peter's speech. He was not repeating the same catchphrases over and over. Rather, he was relaying a vitally important message. Of course, the mechanics of this special Pentecost meeting 
may have happened a little differently than the description just given. The Bible does not give a precise account, but this much is indisputable. Peter and the other apostles were speaking in foreign languages that were intelligible to their listeners. Thus, the gift of tongues was a tool of evangelism. Clearly, God's true gift of tongues differs vastly from what masquerades as that gift today. It is not uncommon for a hyper-excited, worked-up Pentecostal to, to sway, moan, dance in the spirit, laugh hysterically, or shout out in unintelligible speech, <clears throat> or even meaningless guttural gibbering. How very different from the biblical example. The Apostle John exhorted his readers, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God. 1 John 4.1 What then is the true evidence of the Holy Spirit? God's Spirit is only offered to those who believe the gospel message that Jesus brought and have truly repented as a result. <laughs> they have unconditionally surrendered their lives to their creator and have therefore begun to obey him. Next, there is fruit from that, from the Holy Spirit, bears in our lives. This fruit is described in Galatians 5, 23 as love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In other words, the Spirit, Holy Spirit changes our lives and fills us with God's love, which enables us to obey his holy and righteous law, showing evidence of his very nature within us, Romans 5, 5 and Romans 13, 10. Paul emphasized in 1 Corinthians 14 that the gifts God gives are for edifying or strengthening the church. He encouraged his readers to seek God's gift for the purpose of serving others, not for self-aggrandizement. As for tongues or languages, Paul explained that it was better to speak just a few words that were understandable and helpful rather than 10,000 words in a language no one could understand. For unless the content is helpful and instructive, words in and of themselves lack benefit to the hearers, verses 6 and 9. A prophecy in Joel 2, verses 28 through 32 foretells an end-time outpouring of God's Spirit in a miraculous way. Peter quoted this scripture and applied it to the miracle that occurred on the first Pentecost after Christ's resurrection from the dead. It is apparent upon close scrutiny, however, that a much greater fulfillment of this prophecy is for the time just prior to the day of the Lord. Verse 31. <clears throat> Thus many of the miraculous outpourings of God's Spirit that happened in the first century will undoubtedly occur in the end time. However, from what we have seen, it should be clear that the speaking in tongues commonly practiced today in the charismatic movement with its incoherent babbling, often accompanied by uncontrollable shrieks and spasms, 
is most certainly not from God. For as Paul says in his discussion on tongues, God is not the author of confusion. 1 Corinthians 14, 33. Indeed, we may rightly discern that most of the speaking in tongues that goes on today has a different author, either demonic spirits or simply human imagination. For just as demons were involved in the pagan re Greek religion of long ago with its babbling oracles, 1 Corinthians 10:20, so also are they involved in false religion today. If the author of, of individuals' ecstatic speech is, in the hum is the human mind, it is either an outright fraudulent act, <clears throat> some form of mental illness, or simply a frenzy of hu human emotion. True miracles, however, are not brought about by human emotion. They are rather the result of God supernaturally working through his true servants, those who genuinely obey him and are yielded to his will. <clears throat> it's mentioned at the outset in the spiritual confusion of modern religion, many today recognize a great void in their lives without real understanding of God's ultimate purpose and plan. They are accepting a counterfeit of true spirituality. They are pursuing a feeling and are therefore setting themselves up to be deceived by the end time false miracles of which Christ warned in Matthew 24, 24. We should seek God in his ways, not feelings. If we do so with all our heart and continue to genuinely walk with him, the true miracles will certainly follow in God's own time. That was John O'Glenn Charismatic Renewal and the Gift of Tongues, May, June, 2004. <clears throat> Jesus taught, uh, Mark 17 through, uh, Mark 16, verses 17 through 20. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the, the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. Again, Mark 16, 17 through 20. Christians really need to try. Christians really need to cry out in prayer for God to help us and teach us the lessons we need to learn. And God may give the accompanying signs of which Jesus spoke. <clears throat> the Bible also says that we are told to earnestly desire the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But the, manifest, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. <clears throat> for to one is given the word of God, of the wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of, of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy to another discerning of spirits to another different kinds of tongues to another the interpretation of tongues and by the but one and the same spirit works all these things distributing to each one individually
Now you're the body of Christ <clears throat> and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healing, gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret, but earnest, but earnestly desire the best gifts? First Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 11, and then picks back up verses 27 through 31. To summarize this section, we in the Continued Church of God do believe that God apparently will again grant the gifts, gift of speaking in tongues of some type. However, we do not believe that what is commonly reported amongst those in the so-called Pentecostal movement are following the pattern set forth in the New Testament. Since the Holy Spirit, now I'm going into the Old Testament, the subject of the Old Testament where Pentecost is. Since the Holy Spirit was given on the day of Pentecost, based upon the date and practices that God gave the children of Israel, In the Old Testament, it is logical to conclude that the Old Testament can give us some insight into its meaning. First of all, the term Pentecost is a Greek term meaning 50th. That term is derived from the following Hebrew description of calculating the day. And you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. Count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Leviticus 23, verses 15 and 16. The day of Pentecost has several names, and because of that, some have been confused by about it. And its other names in the Bible include the Feast of Harvest, the Feast of Weeks, and the Day of First Fruits. Jews realize a first fruits name and connection. The Temple Institute wrote in May 18, 2018, newsletter, Shavuot is also the festival of the first fruits, <clears throat> Bikram in Hebrew, on which all Israel brings the first of the season's fruits to the Temple's altar. Shavuot, which will begin Saturday evening, also known as Chag HaBikram, the festival of the first fruits. The use of the term first fruit suggests a second harvest. And actually, this too is pointed out in the Old Testament. The feast of harvest, the, feast, the first fruits of your labors which you have sown in the field, and the feast of been gathering at the end of the year, when you have gathered in the fruit of your labors from the field, Exodus 23, verse 16 and 17. And you shall observe the feast of weeks, of the first fruits of wheat harvest and the feast of ingathering at the year's end. This is in Exodus 34:22. Also, in Numbers 28:26, also on the day of the first fruits, when you bring a new grain offering to the Lord at your feast of weeks, you shall have a holy convocation. While some Protestants commentators refer to the wave sheaf offering as the feast of first fruits, this is a misnomer. 
while a sheaf of first fruits was offered, then in Leviticus 23.10, as shown above, the Bible refers to the Feast of Weeks as the time of first fruits, not simply one sheaf. And as shown below, it refers to the time of continuing 50 as being associated with first fruits. Count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall offer new grain offering to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwellings at two wave loaves of two tenths of an ephah. They shall be of fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven. They are the first fruits to the Lord. Leviticus 23, 16 and 17. How does the term first fruits help us understand this day? The Feast of Pentecost, or Feast of First Fruits, Exodus 34, 22, reminds us that God is now calling only a small first fruit spiritual harvest, with the last great day picturing a greater harvest later. This later harvest is pictured by latter holy days that most who profess Christ no longer observe. In the lead article for the first issue of the Hope of Israel published by the then Church of God Adventists, there was a teaching to the effect that Pentecost represented the former reign, but that latter reign was to come. <clears throat> the churches of God in Wisconsin looking for the appearing of the Lord in the same class of churches in Iowa and some of the same faith in Illinois have taken their stand upon the word of God contained in the prophets of Jehovah. And the apostles of Christ, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, admitting no other authority for their faith, practiced in discipline, yet are we waiting for the latter rain spoken of by, Daniel, by Joel 2.23? If as Peter said on the day of Pentecost that that which then was seen in the apostles was a fulfilling of the prophecy of Joel, surely it was but the former rain and the latter rain is yet to come, attended with wonders in the heavens and in the earth and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. In the 20th century, the old worldwide church God taught this related to God's plan in former and the latter reign. To keep his children from constantly in the true understanding of his great plan of, of salvation, Christ, the Lord of the Old Testament, originally took the yearly agricultural harvest of Palestine as a type of God's spiritual harvest of human beings. In Palestine, there are two annual grain harvests. First, produced by the early rain, is a smaller spring harvest. Second, produced by the latter rain, comes the main harvest, the much greater fall harvest. The first three festival periods, beginning with Passover, are memorials of the first part of God's plan. They picture only the first fruits of God's labors. The last four festivals look forward to the future and show how God will reap the latter great fall harvest of billions of people. Lesson 33, the Passover. Uh, Christ's sacrifice begins God's master plan, Ambassador College Correspondence Course 1969. <clears throat> now, the latter rain 
has to do with the coming great harvest that will come after this age. Pentecost helps picture the former rain. The old radio church God taught in Joel chapter 2. The rain spoken of in verse 23 is dual. A, a spiritual as well as a physical rain which produces great physical abundance. God is now giving the former rain of the Holy Spirit moderately, producing the small harvest of, of first fruits. There to, is to be a correspondingly larger latter rain of the Holy Spirit to produce the greater spiritual harvest. A great outpouring of the Holy Spirit and, and hence of salvation is typified by and associated with increased rain on desert areas. Compare also Isaiah 44, 3, <clears throat> and John 7, 37-39. The first fruits are called now. They are part of an earlier rain, but a latter rain will come, per Hosea 6, 3, which says, Let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and former rain to the earth. This rain that will come and the future represents a harvest according to James 5, 7. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rains. <clears throat> Strangely, even though the Roman Catholic Church observes some version of Pentecost and knows it has to do with first fruits, It actually endorses other days for the celebration of first fruits, and at least one of those days is of pagan origin. Notice the following. In English-speaking countries in the Northern Hemisphere, August 1st is Lamas Day, kind of like Loaf Mass Day, the festival of the first wheat harvest of the year. On this day, <clears throat> it was customary to bring to church a loaf made from the new crop. <clears throat> Excuse me. In many parts of England, tenants were bound to present freshly harvested wheat to their landlords on or before the day, the first day of August. In the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, where it is referred to regularly, it is called the Feast of First Fruits. The blessing of new fruits was performed annually in both the Eastern and Western churches on the first or the sixth of August. Lunasa comes at the beginning of August. It is one of the pagan festivals of Celtic origin which split the year into four. Celts held the festival of the Irish god Lug, spelled L-U-G-H, Lug, or at this time and later, the Anglo-Saxons marked the festivals of Lofmas, or Lamas, at this time. For these agricultural communities, this was the first day of the harvest when the fields would be glowing with corn and reaping would begin. The harvest period would continue until Samhain when the last stores for the winter months would be put away. Although farming is not an important part of modern life, 
Lunasa is still seen as a harvest festival by pagans and symbols connected, symbols connected with the reaping of corn predominant in its rites. And as you know, probably know, Samhain is a pagan holiday, now normally called Halloween. It would be better if the Roman church and others would simply observe God's holy days his way and not mix with pagan practices by observing other times as the feast of first fruits and not truly understanding Pentecost's true meaning. Pentecost and the Ten Commandments. <clears throat> Speaking <coughs> of the Jew of the law and the Jewish views, notice the following. Jewish tradition identified Shavuot as the time of grieving of the Torah, of the giving of the Torah, excuse me. The anniversary of the divine revelation at Sinai when the Israelites heard the voice of God and made a covenant with him. But that connection is not made in the Torah itself. To be sure, the Torah says that in the third month after the Israelites had gone forth from the land of Egypt, on that very day, <clears throat> They entered the wilderness of Sinai. And Shavuot is the only festival in the third month, so the connection is implicit, but it is not explicit. The, the traditional festival of Pentecost is the birthday of the Torah, the time our law was given, when Israel became a constitutional body and a distinguished people. <coughs> remain the sole celebration after the exile. The Shabbat prayers in Mazor have references to this and particularly to the precepts deduced from the Pentateuch. It may very well be that the Ten Commandments were brought down from Mount Sinai on Pentecost. The New Testament helps explain the Old Testament. Next section. The New Testament also does discuss some concepts associated with first fruits. Paul also wrote the following. Not only that, <clears throat> but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, Romans 8.23, recall that it was the Holy Spirit that was first given on the day of Pentecost, and that was the type of the first fruits of the Spirit. Who are the first fruits? These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and the Lamb. Revelation 14, verses 4 and 5. <clears throat> Here is the patient of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Revelation 14, 12. The first fruits keep God's commandments. In the Old Testament, God said, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the first fruits on the fig tree in its first season. But they went to Baal Peor, or Hosea 9.10. So originally, physical Israel was like the first fruits on the branches of a fig tree, but they were unfaithful. In the New Testament, Paul alludes to this in Christians when he wrote in Romans 11.16-21, through 21, <clears throat> For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. 
And if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree. Do not boast among against the branches, but if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said. <coughs> because of unbelief, they were broken off. <clears throat> and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, do not, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Moving on. So while physical Israel was intended to be first fruits, it was replaced by Christians as the first fruits. And those first fruits began on Pentecost. Yes, he certainly was, Paul notes. <clears throat> but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. <clears throat> but each one in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. 1 Corinthians 15. Verses 20 through 23. Christ is the fulfillment of the wave sheaf offering in Leviticus 23.10. He is the sheaf of first fruits. He also fulfilled that role when he ascended into heaven on the Sunday. The wave sheaf offering was on a Sunday. After he was resurrected, John 20, verses 1 and 17. But neither he nor his true followers observed what is now called Easter. Also, James note that Jesus brought us forth to also be a type of first fruits. Of his own <clears throat> of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we meet, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. James one verses eighteen. So while Jesus was the original first fruit to represent the wave sheaf offering, true Christians are a kind of first fruits represented by the day of Pentecost. First fruits mean that only a few will make it in this age, but they also simply but they also imply that there will be a greater harvest, a time where all who never had an opportunity for salvation will later have an opportunity. <clears throat> Again, notice what Peter stated on Pentecost. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn an oath with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit." He poured out this, which you see, which you now see and hear. Acts 2, again, 
verses 29 through 33. Notice that Peter on Pentecost referred to Jesus as fruit and that he was raised. Pentecost shows that God blesses this small harvest by granting his Holy Spirit so that we can overcome, do his work, and grow spiritually, even though living in this present evil age, Galatians 1, 4. Now, Jesus was not only the first of the first fruits, he was also the firstborn among many brethren, for whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, Romans 8:29. Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, Revelation 1, 5. Since Jesus is the firstborn, this certainly implies, implies that there will become others who are to be like him. Thus, becoming like Jesus Christ is also part of the message of Pentecost. Of course, the idea of becoming like Christ is taught throughout the Bible and is not limited to Pentecost. Notice what John wrote, and we shall be like him. 1 John 3, 2. Pentecost, <clears throat> excuse me, All right, next section. Pentecost was observed later in the New Testament. The Feast of Pentecost was kept by Christians after the initial one, but with no mention of speaking in tongues. The Apostle Paul continued to keep Pentecost decades after the Pentecost mentioned in the second chapter of the book of Acts. Notice what he wrote about 56 AD. For I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you, if the Lord permits. But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, 1 Corinthians 16.8. This shows that Paul knew when Pentecost was, that he felt that the Corinthians must know when Pentecost was, and that the Ephesians, the Ephesians would have known when Pentecost was also. Thus it is apparently was being observed by Paul and the Gentiles in Ephesus and Corinth, both of which were Gentile Greek areas and not Jerusalem. In another year, the Apostle Paul was also wished to be in Jerusalem for Pentecost around 60 AD. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost, Acts 20, verse 16. <clears throat> Thus, Christians in Jerusalem were still observing Pentecost, and Paul was observing it too. Otherwise, there would be no obvious reason why Paul wanted to be in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. This was clearly understood by second century writers such as Arrhenius, who wrote in circa 180, Paul taught with simplicity what he knew, not only to those who were employed with him, but to those that heard him. He does himself make manifest for when the bishops and presbyters who came from Ephesus and the other cities adjoining had assembled in Miletus, since he was himself hastening to Jerusalem to observe Pentecost. 
There's also, there is a partially questionable book called The Life of Polycarp. This book, which seems to somewhat based on some historical truths in the second century, was changed at least slightly in the fourth century. The Life of Polycarp contains some possibly helpful information about Paul, Polycarp, and observing Pentecost. In the days of unleavened bread, Paul coming down from Galatia arrived in Asia considering the repose among the faithful in Smyrna to be a great refreshment in Christ Jesus after his severe toil and intending afterwards to depart to Jerusalem. So in Smyrna, he went to visit Stratius, who had been his hearer in Pamphylia, being a son of Eunice, the daughter of Lois. These are they of whom he <clears throat> makes mention when writing to Timothy, saying of uh, the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and in thy mother Eunice. Hence, we find that Stratius was a brother of Timothy. Paul then entering his house and gathering together the faithful there speaks to them concerning the Passover and the Pentecost, reminding them of the new covenant of the offering of bread and the cup. How that they ought most assuredly to celebrate it during the days of unleavened bread. <laughs> but to hold fast the new mystery of the passion of, and resurrection. For here the apostle plainly teaches that we ought neither to keep it outside the season of unleavened bread, as the heretics do, as, especially the, the Phrygians, <laughs> but name the days of unleavened bread, the Passover, and the Pentecost, thus ratifying the gospel. Polycarp himself was a faithful church leader who was apparently a Gentile. It should also be noted that the idea of Christians being first fruits was known in early times. Notice something from the late century AD, chapter 22. Let us consider, beloved, how the Lord continually proves to us that there shall be a future resurrection of which he has rendered the Lord Jesus Christ the first fruits by raising him from the dead. Let us contemplate, beloved, the resurrection which is at all times taking place. Day and night declare to us a resurrection. The, the night sinks to sleep and the day arises. The day again departs and the night comes on. Let us behold the fruits of the earth, how the sowing of the grain takes place. The sower goes forth and casts it into the ground, and the seeds being thus scattered, though dry and naked when it shall fell upon the earth, it gradually dissolved. Then out of its dissolution, the mighty power of that providence of the Lord raises it up again. And from one seed, many arise and bring forth fruit. Chapter 42. The apostles have preached the gospel to us from the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has done so from God. Christ, therefore, was sent forth by God and the apostles by Christ. Both these appointments then were made in an orderly way, according to the will of God. Having, therefore, received their orders and being fully assured by the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ and established in the word of God with full assurance of the Holy Ghost, they went forth proclaiming that the kingdom of God was at hand. <clears throat> and 
And thus preaching through countries and cities, they appointed the first fruits of their labors, having first proved them by the Spirit to be bishops and deacons of those who should afterwards believe. Nor was this any new thing, since indeed many ages before it was written concerning the bishops and deacons. For thus says the scripture in a certain place, I will appoint their bishops in righteousness and their deacons in faith. It is believed that the scripture referred to at the end of Isaiah 60, 17, possibly combined with Philippians 1, 1 and or 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 13. Arrhenius, who claimed to, to know Polycarp, wrote, <laughs> Then again, it was fit that Moses should give manna as food to the fathers, but Joshua wheat as the first fruits of life, a type of the body of Christ, as also the scripture declares that the manna of the Lord ceased when the people had eaten wheat from the land. Okay. Thus, Christians are like Jesus, called first fruits in early church literature. So, what should you know about Pentecost? <clears throat> Is this the only day of salvation? Most churches generally teach that all who die unsaved or do not get saved before the second coming of Christ, can never receive salvation. They assume there is a great contest in progress between Christ and Satan. They believe Christ came to save the world, but and by no, by and by means of all these churches through which he is desperately trying to get the world saved. On the other hand, the clever, deceptive devil is doing all he can to prevent people from being saved. And they seem to believe there is a time limit on the contest. I've heard this before, <laughs> roundabout. We are now near the time for the second coming of Christ. But when Christ returns to earth in person, he will find himself helpless, utterly unable to save the world from Satan's clutches because then it will be too late. Probation will be closed as one denomination expresses it. This paganized teaching represents Satan is far more powerful than God. <clears throat> we'll have to skip. Most not, most not now called. God has not cast away his people. Israel, but he blinded them for a temporary period of time so that through their fall salvation came to the Gentiles who through Christ are individually grafted in or spiritually adopted into the family of Israel. Romans 11. So this is the dispensation when God is calling a people for his name to be kings and priests, reigning with Christ in the kingdom during the thousand years. Revelation 5.10 after this, after this dispensation of taking out of the Gentiles a people for his name, I will return, promises the Eternal. What for? And will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I, Christ, not men, will set it up. Why? That the residue of men might seek after the Lord. Acts 15, verses 14 through 17. Study this again. 
During the present church age, the descendants of ancient Judah and Israel are blinded. After this, Christ will return, and then the rest of men blinded Israel and Gentiles alike will seek after the Lord when Satan is chained and Christ reigns as King of kings and Lord of lords. Those are the first fruits of his salvation made immortal. Will then reign with him as kings and priests in the wonderful work of building a new civilization. During this time, Israel is mostly blinded until the fullness of Gentiles comes in. And so Romans 11:26, all Israel shall then be saved from sin. For the deliverer, <clears throat> Christ, shall come out of Zion. All Israel shall be brought to repentance and saved from sin now. Because Christ turns in godliness from mortal Israel by forgiving sin. Now, in this dispensation, Israel has not believed, and the tabernacle of David is fallen down, Romans 11, 31, 32, that through the mercy of the Gentiles and the, and the small elect in Israel, <clears throat> picked out in this age, acting as kings and priests with Christ, they also then may obtain mercy. How wonderful is God's great plan of redemption when we understand it as we see it pictured in these annual holy days. Only first fruits now. <clears throat> in James 1 18 and Romans 8 23, for example, the saints of this dispensation are called the first fruits of God's salvation. <clears throat> this dispensation and the picking out of these people to bear his name began on the day of Pentecost. This feast annually pictures the great event, this great mystery dispensation in God's re redemptive plan. Notice, too, that these feasts of Leavened Bread and Pentecost fall at the beginning of the year, and the great events they picture occur at the very beginning of the plan of salvation. The group of holy days coming at the end of the year all symbolize tremendous events in God's plan of redemption to occur, yet future at the end of dispensation. They all come in the seventh month and their fulfillment will introduce the seven the seventh thousand year since creation the seventh thousand years since creation their churches of this world today teach it is the mission of the church to save the world they teach that all who ever shall be saved are being saved now in this presence dispensation. <clears throat> they teach that probation ends at or prior to the second coming of Christ. If this be true, what a failure is God's plan. Only a very, very few have been truly saved in this dispensation. One third of all living on earth today have never even heard the only name whereby we may be saved. Are they the majority of all living, eternally lost because they never heard lost and condemned without a chance? The common teaching is that God has cast away his people Israel, and they are eternally doomed and lost. Had they been keeping these annual holy days, commanded to be kept forever, all kept faithfully by the New Testament church, as recorded in Acts and in church history, they would have understood God's wonderful plan. We are not to convert everyone in the world in this age, but to declare the gospel. 
What gospel? The good news, the kingdom of God, the good news of the thousand years of restitution of all things when Christ returns to reign in power and great glory. Let, her, let us understand this. During this time, Israel is blinded in part, but only until the completion of this Gentile dispensation. During this time, only the minority of Gentiles, Chinese, people of India and Russia have ever heard the name of Christ. The good news of the coming kingdom is to be preached as a witness. Many have been called during this time, but only few actually chosen, and still fewer have remained faithful to the end. They the people picked out for his name shall be made immortal and shall reign during the thousand years of the kingdom upon earth. Then Israel blinds, Israel's blindness will be removed. They were blinded until the end of Gentile times. The heavens received Jesus until these times of restitution of all things. Those now gathered since that day of Pentecost, June 17th, A.D. 31, are the first fruits only of God's plan of salvation. This dispensation then is picked out only the first fruits of those to be saved, and they are being tried and tested to qualify for positions as kings and priests in the kingdom to affect then the real salvation of the world. <clears throat> Our, so, I'm going to have to skip through a lot here, folks. Um, two more things. Offerings were taken up. Pentecost was one of the times that offerings were taken up. Notice the following scriptures. You shall count seven weeks for yourself. Begin to count the seven weeks from the time you begin to pick, put the sickle to the grain. Then you shall keep the feast of weeks to the Lord your God with the tribute of a freewill offering from your hand, which you shall give as a the Lord your God blesses you. Then the Lord the Eternal delivered to me two tablets of stone written with the finger of God, and on them were all the words which the Lord has spoken to you on the mountain from the midst of the fire and the day of the assembly. That's Deuteronomy 16, verses 9 and 10. <clears throat> and you shall observe the Feast of Weeks of the first fruits of the wheat harvest and the Feast of Ingathering at the year's end. Three times in the year, all your men shall appear before the Lord, the Lord your God of Israel. Exodus 34, verses 22 through 24. Three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of Tabernacles. <clears throat> and they shall, appear not a, they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Every man shall give as he is able according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you. Deuteronomy 16, verses 16 and 17. Hence, groups like the Continuing Church of God take up an offering on Pentecost. Brethren, in conclusion... In the Old Testament, the Feast of Weeks involving first fruits was kept 50 days after the Sabbath after Passover. Thus, it was kept on a day commonly now referred to as Sunday. 
Because it, because it is a holy convocation, it is observed similarly to a weekly Sabbath, but with offerings. After the death of Christ, the apostles gathered together on that date. And at a precise time on that date, the Holy Spirit was poured out to provide Christians access to God as a kind of first fruits. Jesus was the first of these first fruits, and Christians who are called in this age are also to be first fruits as he is. Those called later are also to be as Jesus is, but simply will not be first fruits. The day of Pentecost was on June 12th in 2017. <clears throat> One of the important lessons on Pentecost is concepts of first fruits. That God is only calling out a small number of people, the first fruits in this age, but that others will be called later. Another is that it takes God's spirit to be a real Christian and accomplish what God wants accomplished. The day of Pentecost was kept by those in New Testament times as well as by Christians ever since. But for those who truly understand the meaning from the Bible, Pentecost pictures more than the start of the New Testament church. It shows that those now being called are a type of first fruit, that they are to be like Jesus Christ and that God's spirit is needed to do his will and that his holy day shows part of the plan of God to save nearly all of humankind. This is Lewis Rubin with the Continuing Church of God.